All right, so tonight the subject is put into a question form, what is the purpose of the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom of Christ on earth? That's our question. What is the purpose of the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom of Christ on earth? You can take a look at that opening paragraph there. To answer this question, says Dr. Renald Showers, we must go back to the beginning of creation, back to Genesis. Yes. Did you not get one? Okay, do we have extras, guys? Okay, here's one right here if we need it. Okay, we can. We got two right here. So, can you run that back to him? Thank you. All right. Okay, so this material is adapted from a lecture that I listened to some time back from Renald Showers. He was a Bible teacher and a contributing author to... Israel, my glory. And if you've never read that magazine, I I recommend to you the older the older uh, magazines. Uh, Israel, my glory, has been putting out a lot of good teaching, dispensational teaching, teaching on prophecy, and the older issues that have uh, Renald Showers teaching in there. I want to recommend those to you. Uh, the back issues. So we're talking about the millennium. We, we talked about how we believe the Bible literally, and uh, we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. So right now, you are in the church age. There is coming a pre-tribu- pre-tribulational rapture we call the blessed hope. And uh, maybe... It'll happen today, perhaps today, where the Lord will appear. He will make his appearance, and he will catch his bride away. We will be caught up to meet him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the pre-tribulational rapture. After that, you have seven years of the time of the tribulation period is what we call it, the tribulation period. Um, I gave you... Seven reasons in the last two lessons. Seven reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, this is not the second coming of Christ. This is not the second coming. You could think of it as the first phase of the second coming, but it's not the second coming. The second coming comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and we are not here for the seven years of tribulation. This time is the last week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And during this seven years that take place here, this is also the fulfillment, the, complete, uh, the completion of the times of the Gentiles, when the Gentiles have rule over this earth, over the kingdoms of this world, and where they trample underfoot Jerusalem. So at the end of the seven years... The thing that marks the end of that is the second advent of Christ, which I've been drawing in red. The second advent. And that's when Jesus Christ comes back. He comes back and he's furious. He comes back as a king to conquer in the second advent. So, second advent, second coming, same, same terms. That's when he arrives. That 
will mark the end of the tribulation period. Then, in some uh, undetermined amount of time, you have, following that, you have 1,000 years, the 1,000 year literal reign of Christ on earth. That's the millennial kingdom. Millennial kingdom. Now, what tonight, what I want to prove to you, or what I want to show to you, is why do we need a seven-year tribulation? In other words, why is it important that we believe that this is literal? And that this is literal here on earth. Why is that important? Okay? So, um, having given credit where it's due for Renald Showers, uh, we'll move on to the next paragraph. There were two kinds of subjects in God's kingdom. When God originally created the world, created man, he had two subjects in his kingdom, angels and men. He created angels before he created men. God created hundreds of millions, maybe billions of, and that blank there is angels. So look at Revelation chapter 5. Turn to Revelation chapter 5 with me. Maybe one person could be the Bible person if you're uh, in couples tonight. The other person could fill out the, the blanks. Somebody said they like these blanks, so I'll keep doing as as often as I can. So millions, maybe billions of angels to serve him in heaven, okay? They're up in heaven. Then he creates man to serve him on earth. So Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11 says this, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them, of those angels, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So that is saying millions, possibly billions, an, an innumerable host of angels. Then God created man to have dominion over everything here on the earth. So the original form of government was a theocracy, a theocracy. So that's what God had in mind. Theos. Theos means God. So theocracy with a theocracy, what does that mean? That means that God rules. God rules with a theocracy, with a C in it. And that's a form of government in which God rules. Look at Genesis chapter 1. And I'll fix my spelling. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20. But that definition is not enough. It's not just enough to say that God rules. There's more to it than that in a theocracy. And it is, yes, it is a sovereign rule, but there's something very important in that definition when it comes to over the world because God created man to rule over the world. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, and this kind of uh, gives you an idea of what we were supposed to uh, do, what man was meant to accomplish. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl, that they may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created whales in every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God said, or excuse me, God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth in the evening and the morning were the fifth day. That was the fifth day of creation. Then we come to the sixth day when God created man. God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. You know, over the last couple of nights around my place, uh, we were out on Monday night, and I was finally getting around to burning some brush. Uh, we have a little fire pit off to the side of the house. So I'd been burning some brush and mowing the lawn and cleaning out the, uh, the gutters and the downspouts of my house, and uh, even chopping up a tree that had fallen, got my chainsaw out, you know, and Lucas saw me with that chainsaw, and he's like, wow, you know, it was like the first time he ever saw a chainsaw, and I knew it was going to be a cool moment, so I was like, you know, um, but I was cleaning up stuff and burning stuff, right, and then one of the guys from the, uh, the farm up there came past with his tractor, and he's pulling some things behind him, and then all of a sudden I hear, uh, the, ca- the cows start to, you know, and you start to hear these, they're being weaned, you know, they're weaning the, the calves, and, and the mamas are crying and crying and crying, and they're still crying today. And uh, that's the cattle, what they do, right, when, when the babies are taken away, that weaning. And so I just was thinking about that when I was reading about the cattle of the earth. But God gave man to take care of creation, take care of the animals. That's a part of raising cattle. So everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, that's a reference to the Trinity, speaking in the plural, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So man has dominion over the earth. You see that? God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them said, be fruitful and multiply, and so on. So God created man to have dominion over the earth, and what you have is you have a theocracy. So a theocracy is a form of government in which God administers his rule through a representative. That's that blank. God administers his rule through a representative. So theocracy... And the authority, the rule, goes through a representative, through a rep, Adam. Okay? He called the first man and woman Adam. Uh, So, the angel Lucifer, he fell at some time we really don't know exactly when he fell. I assume he fell before God created Adam and Eve in the garden, but possibly He didn't. Maybe he fell once God created Adam and Eve in the garden and saw what Adam had and what mankind would have, the rule 
by way of being an a representative to administer these things. And so he saw that, and maybe he got jealous at that point. I don't know exactly. Maybe if you feel like you know, talk to me after the, the Bible study. But I've always just kind of taken it that the angels fell prior to the creation of man in the garden. But the angel Lucifer fell from his exalted position because he wanted what God had. What was that? That was jealousy, envy. God had a kingdom of angels and men serving him and worshiping him. Lucifer wanted that too. He rebelled against Almighty God and even succeeded in leading other angels in his revolt. Does anybody remember how many of the angels he took with him? A third. Yeah, one third of those millions, possibly billions of angels. So when uh, they revolted, when they rebelled, they were promptly judged and cast out of heaven to earth. When Lucifer fell, God changed his name to Satan, a name meaning, that's the next blank, adversary, A-D-V-E-R-S-A-R-Y, adversary. What does the word adversary mean? An enemy, an opponent. He's, a, he's against God. He's fighting against God. Satan also succeeded in leading man to revolt against God's law and God's kingdom. Somebody says, well, it's just so simple. The whole story of Genesis, uh, God said you can have this garden and all this stuff. There's just one thing, just one rule, right? You can't break this rule. And so um, what, what did Adam and Eve do? They disobeyed God. They did what they were not supposed to do. And so we think that's so very simple, but it was very fundamental and primary to Satan's plan. He had to get man to rebel against God. And there's a reason why he wanted to do that. Satan did get man to revolt against God and God's law and God's kingdom. And as a result of what we call the fall of man, you understand that's like a theological term, the fall of man. That's what we call Adam and Eve, their disobedience in the, in the Garden of Eden and the resulting judgment, their fall from their exalted position that they had. So as a result of that fall, a subject that we've dealt with elsewhere in our preaching and teaching, Adam lost the kingdom. He lost it. So Adam could no longer be that representative. God could no longer have a theocracy uh, administered through a representative here on earth. And so Adam lost the kingdom. That's what the devil was trying to accomplish. He also, of course, wanted to accomplish the death of man. The devil wanted to take something that God made and break it and ruin it and twist it so that God could not get glory, get that worship that he was getting from mankind. And the devil also wanted man to follow him in a revolt against God. And he got it in getting them to just break one rule. And so he successfully usurped the kingdom from Adam and from God. And the theocracy was lost through that. But God will get it back. And that's where it comes to the tribulation period and the millennial reign, and the revolt that happens at the end. It's God getting his kingdom 
back. Because listen, if God didn't get the kingdom back, who wins? Satan wins. Yeah. So he will accomplish this in, the next blank is two phases. Two phases. Phase number one, the great tribulation. Phase number two, the second coming of Christ. So Satan has dominated the kingdoms of this world on through the Old Testament into the New Testament, even uh, many times deceiving the church and getting the church off track throughout history. He controls this present world system. These might be familiar to you, but look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, and verse 4. I want to show you from the Bible that Satan controls this present world system. When Adam lost the kingdom, you know who got the kingdom? Satan. Satan did. And Satan rules a world system with spiritual, unseen powers and forces, and he controls the kingdoms of men. The higher you get in power, the closer you get to where the devil operates. So he controls this world system, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the God, little g, of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I heard a mother the other day uh, ask me a question, and it was a very sincere question, and back of that question was a burdened heart and tears, and she said to me, she said, how do I get my children to take the gospel seriously, to believe the gospel and be saved? And uh, I said, well, when I got saved, I got, I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. And that's a good reason to get saved, by the way. But the Holy Spirit had to bring that conviction. Because I'd heard the gospel before. But on that particular account, the Holy Spirit brought that conviction that if you die in the condition that you're in, I had to see my sinfulness, see that I was undone and guilty before a holy God who would not receive me as I was. I had to be changed. I had to be forgiven. I had to be saved. And so... I saw that and I realized it's either Christ or hell and I didn't want to go to hell. So I got saved. And so she was saying to an effect, how do I explain hell so that it scares them enough to where they get saved? Here's the thing. What we need to pray is, God, their eyes are blinded. This is a good biblical prayer. Their eyes are blinded. Pray that you would open up their blinded eyes. Don't let, devil, don't let the devil deceive them and blind them any longer. And pray that way. Because you know you're praying scripturally. You know you're praying God's will. And all you have to do is just keep praying that. And then also pray that they would become convicted of their sin. That they become convicted that there is a penalty for sin and so on. So that they'd be saved from the penalty of sin. But Satan is the God of this world. Alright, let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Let's see it in action. This is a conversation between the devil and Jesus. Satan, otherwise called the devil, and Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, I won't read it all because, again, I know you're familiar with it, but just wanted to point out a few things here. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 5, the devil taking him, Jesus, 
up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of... How did he do that? I don't know. How did he do that? It had to have been some miraculous way of showing him all the kingdoms of the world because I got news for you, the mountains in that part of the world are not that high. So some mystical, unexplainable way uh, this supernatural creature was able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. I don't know how. But he did. And when he showed him all the kingdoms of this world, he, he was tempting Jesus. And he showed him, and in a moment of time, and in verse 6, the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. Now wait a minute. The devil just said, I can give you this power. And you know what? Jesus, he didn't say, no, you can't. He didn't say that. The devil said, I will give you this power. I'll give you the glory of this power. That's what people want. They want the glory. You know, uh, when people are young, they see these basketball players on TV, and they see the way that everybody loves them and worships them, and they want that glory. They see these pop stars singing, Taylor Swift singing songs, and everybody, oh, they're the greatest thing ever, and they want that glory. Guys see these rock singers, you know, and they're, they're just playing their guitar, and, and everybody's going crazy, you know, and they're playing their, their solos and stuff, and they're like, they're, they're rock gods. And guys dream of becoming guitar rock gods. Why? Because they want the glory that comes with that. Yeah, they're believing and they're blinded. It's the world system. It's the devil saying, you can have glory if you'll give yourself over to me. And there's many a pop singer who was raised in church to sing songs to Jesus and forsook that for the stage and for the glory that follows. Not saying that somebody can not do that and, and love the Lord at the same time, but that's the world we live in, and that's just a good explanation of it. So he says, I'll give you all this glory. He said that because he had the power to do it. For that is delivered unto me. You see, he said it. God delivered that unto me when Adam lost it. And to whomsoever... I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And he quoted scripture. You know what the devil wanted? The devil wanted Jesus to get something that belonged to him, but get it the wrong way. That's a lot of the times what the devil wants to do with us. He wants us to get something that belongs to us, something that God wants us to have, but to get it the wrong way and at the wrong time. You've got to watch out for that. And uh, so he had the authority to give it to him. But uh, most likely Adam didn't realize this when he disobeyed God. He didn't realize that the kingdom would be handed over to Satan. So this is why Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. That's the next... Uh, Five blanks there. The prince of this world. All right, let's turn also to uh, James 4. We'll get closer to Revelation where we're going to end. James 4. So you have Hebrews and then James. Hebrews and then James. Turn towards the book of Revelation until you find Hebrews. And then go to James chapter 4, verse 4. So Satan is the prince of this world. And what happens is that he, he, took, he took this theocracy and he, 
he usurped it from God, and so it went to the devil. That's what we learn in the Bible. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? So who's the God of the world in the church age? The God of this world is Satan. Who's the God of this world in the tribulation period? The God of this world is Satan. And in the tribulation period, Satan will have his Christ. He will have his man who is a devil and a man at the same time. The devil incarnate. Just like Jesus was God incarnate, God manifest in the flesh, God took on a human body and became the God-man, in the tribulation period, the devil will have a man that he will indwell. He will have the Antichrist that he will indwell. In uh, James chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, now James uh, this is the Lord's brother, pastor of the church in uh, Jerusalem, the first church. And he was pretty sharp with his words. He was calling unfaithful Christians adulterers. They're being spiritually unfaithful to God. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? If we're even friends of this world, which does not belong to God right now, it's under the authority and rule of Satan, if you're even a friend, if you're friendly with this world, if you can get along with this world and the world likes you and you like it, you love this world and the world listens to you and you hear the world, that means you're an enemy of God. But instead, if this world says, hey, I can't say anything, at least they practice what they preach, but I don't like them. And if this world uh, talks about you and hates what you believe and hates what you stand for and is trying to shut down your Facebook page and you know, maybe eventually trying to sue you for something or trying to go into your photography shop and want you to take pictures of their, their uh, perverted wedding and you won't do it, and so they're going to... Uh, you're, you're on the right side, you understand. But if you're a friend with this world, you're an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. So we've got to stay on God's side no matter what it means. And in our generation, that's what it means. We're going to have a country that's going to be filled with polygamists before you know it. How did we get here? How did we get here? I don't... It's a different, different world than what I grew up in. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I couldn't believe it the other day I saw that California judge... Uh, voting to permit this polygamous union. And you're, we're going to see more and more of that. The next thing you know will be pedophilia. And preachers were telling us this back in the 70s. And people didn't want to listen to them. These fundamental preachers don't want to listen to them. And they were right. They were right. They said that divorce and remarriage, just for any reason, is going to lead to sodomite unions. Sodomite unions will lead to polygamous unions. Polygamous unions will lead to pedophilia being accepted. Pedophilia will lead to worse stuff. And that's just what's happening. Isn't it something? It's almost like they're prophetic. First John chapter 5, verse 19. How could this happen? It's because Satan is the god of this world. First John chapter 5, verse 17. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That's what we believe about this world. 
this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, you know. The present world system is dominated by God's enemies. Don't love it. We're in the world, yes, but we're not of the world. We use the world, right? We're using Amiibo camera and internet tonight so some of our friends can watch this later. We're using the world, but we're not abusing the world. We're supposed to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and be harmless. We're not to... Hey, listen, do you ever think about this for a second? Just think for a second. Paul had a chance to talk to some of the most powerful people in the world in his day, did he not? God said, I'll bring you before kings. He talked to the most powerful people in the world. Did he use it to lobby against slavery? No, he didn't. Didn't say a word about it. Did he use it to say something about the perversion, which was worse than what we're seeing in, in America? The perversion in the temples of uh, Diana and of the other ones? Did he use it to say anything about ISIS? Did he say anything about the unfaithfulness of men to their families and their wives uh, that are in the highest levels of leadership? Did he say anything about the, uh, the un un unlawful killing of the unborn? Because they were doing that too. Did he? No. When he, got between, when he got his chance to open up his mouth in front of some of the most powerful people in the world, what did he do? He preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, just like he said. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's why I keep saying it over and over and over again. If we get a chance to go to the Capitol, which I've been there a couple times, and we get a chance to go there, and, they, and you walk into their offices, and they say, what do you want? Some of them just say, just like that, what do you want? Because they think you're lobbying something. We say, hey, we don't want anything. We're just here to pray. Is there anything I can pray about? And then we give them our materials, witness one-on-one -on -one to their church staff. They have to take it. They'll take your stuff. They have to listen to you. You are an American. And, they, and they're like, what? You don't want anything? You're not going to yell at us because of the immoral changes in the country? No, not doing any of that. We're here to preach Christ. And that's what like Awake America and Capital Connection and ministries like that are doing, what they should be doing. But on the local level, we've got to stand against evil and push back against the darkness. And what happens is you get a preacher up in a pulpit who will preach, thus saith the Lord... And mama says, I'm not going to listen to this. And they'll side with their children when they, they know what their children is, are doing is wrong. And they'll side with their children and leave that good Bible-believing church and go to some apostate Laodicean mess where they won't be convicted for their sins. God help us. The problem with this country is not the young people. Can I, can I, can I give you a spoiler alert? The problem with this country are, is not the millennials. It's not the young people. The problem with this country was the parents. All along, the parents. Oh, how we need to repent and turn back to God. The present world system is dominated by God's enemies. Next paragraph. Citizens of heaven await the glorious day, so those who have made it to heaven, when the king of kings takes the kingdoms of this world back. So let's look at the seventh trumpet judgment. Revelation 11. We're getting close to the end. The seventh trumpet judgment, Revelation 11 and verse 15. So what happens here? The seventh trumpet, it, it like, uh, 
this is the way this is the way I, I think that the book of Revelation is set up. You have three series of judgments, and the seventh of each one, so the seventh trumpet, uh, what I believe, and I'm not going to be bold dogmatic about this, but I believe within that seventh trumpet, you have what will unfold the next series of seven judgments. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. You have this next series of seven judgments. Maybe it would have made more sense to come out of the horn there. But anyways, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. So when the seventh trumpet blasts, then that signals the unfolding of the next seven judgments of that last series. Notice what happens in heaven when this happens in verse 15. The seventh angel sounded. Now this is during the tribulation period. We're not here. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. You say, well, weren't they all the time? No, like I was just saying. No, they weren't. But they're going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Handel's Messiah. And the four and twenty elders and so on, what did they do? They fell down upon their faces and worshiped God saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and so on. So, finally, at last, God systematically attacks and heavily bombards the world with three series of judgments during the book of Revelation. And God, he confounds, he confuses, interrupts the kingdoms of this world just before he invades with his troops when he comes back with his armies behind him. No one fights but Jesus, but we're back behind him as armies. And he comes back to attack. This same tactic of bombarding the enemy first, confusing them with uh, bombshells, is what has been practiced by military generals of this world throughout history. First, attack them, confound them, and then bring in your military leaders with your armies and your foot soldiers and conquer them. Jesus will come from heaven to conquer his enemies and put down Satan's revolt. That's Revelation 19. Let's turn there, lastly, to Revelation 19. So, let's turn our attention to the second coming. That's that next blank, the second coming of Christ. The second coming, and we'll, we'll have to pick up because I'm not going to go over, but we'll pick up next time and go into something else. Our attention now to the second coming of Christ. We were looking at the tribulation period, Revelation uh, 14 in there, Revelation 11, uh, not 14, 11, and then 19 is when he comes back, and this is the second coming of Christ. Why does Jesus Christ come back riding on a white horse? Notice it says there uh, that when he comes back, let's see, uh, verse 11, I saw heaven open to behold a white horse. He that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. That's very different than what Paul describes about Jesus coming back to get the church. This is a different one. 
Jesus is coming and he's going to touch down on the earth. Why does he ride on a white horse? Well, Renald Showers gave this, this uh, historical insight into this. When a Roman general came back from the war, he would lead a victory march into the city. So, for instance, riding into the city of Rome, he would be riding on the back of a white horse. So the, the apostles would have been familiar with this scene. It symbolized to the people of that time a victorious conqueror. Jesus is returning as God's victorious conqueror to take back the kingdom. Satan was defeated at the cross, but his kingdom, that's the next blank, his kingdom was not. Satan was defeated at the cross, but his kingdom was not. When Jesus got up on that cross, it was as if Jesus and the devil were going into the ring. But do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Do you remember that? God gave a promise to Eve, and he said that there will be a seed born of you, and the, the seed will... What will the seed do to the serpent? Yeah. In the third chapter, in verse 15 that he'll crush it under his heel. So in the process of doing it, he'll bruise Satan's head and Jesus' heel will be bruised. That was the cross. But the kingdom was not taken away from the devil yet. The kingdom will be taken away from the devil right here. Battle of Armageddon. Okay, so let's just stop there. Let's not go any farther. But what happens... If God doesn't do this, what happens? The devil wins. But when God comes back and he touches down, he destroys Israel's enemies and he destroys Satan and his power over this world and sets up his own kingdom, what happens there? God wins. God wins in the end of this picture. If it, if, now listen. If it were just... Let's just say that we believe like the all-millennial... Okay, let's say we believe like the amillennial. Well, the devil would have the kingdoms of this world all the way up to the end. God takes everybody up to judgment who are not already in heaven, the dead, or the, uh, the wicked and the righteous. He takes them all up for a general judgment. And the earth ends being destroyed with fire. That's what they believe too. But if that's the case, then the devil got the kingdom, and that was just it. God lost. You know, God lost that, and the devil got the kingdom, but then there are people who get saved. And that would just kind of leave it to where God didn't win. God lost the kingdom at the very beginning and never got it back. So that's another reason why I'm a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial Return of Christ, and I believe in a literal kingdom of heaven on earth. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Uh, thank you, Father, for this church and for the Word of God. Uh, it's so amazing to study it. And Lord, um, I'm thankful for the good reminder tonight that this world, the whole world, is just, is just uh, wicked through and through. But God, how that should fill us with compassion. Because I was once deceived. And I was once... Uh, doing things that were offensive to you and I was a fool and involved in all kinds of foolishness and then you came and you had mercy on me and pity and you saved me and turned my whole life around, turned my family around 
And God, not everybody in my family is saved. Not everybody wants to hear it. But I pray for our families. I pray for each one of us. We, we all give you thanks and praise that you would take rebels. We were enemies in our minds by wicked works, every one of us, and would take us and, and show us love and forgiveness and mercy and change us and to restore the image and then one day, Lord, to, to have us do what you originally intended for us to be able to have dominion over this world. And God, I, I thank you that you take what the devil broke and twisted and misused and you're undoing what he did. You're undoing it. And you're putting broken things back together. And that ultimately, the devil, sinners, they don't win. Ultimately, you win and righteousness reigns.